0: Hi, I'm Matt.
1: And I'm Joe. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to Cork Talk.
0: This was another social distancing episode, so we virtually connected with co-presidents Mandy Hauser and Chip Shelton and winemaker Ethan Brown of Shelton Vineyards in Dobson, North Carolina.
1: Mandy and Chip talked to us about the long history of Shelton Vineyards. Since their beginnings in 1999, Shelton has been a vital part of the North Carolina wine industry. They were one of the driving forces behind creating the Yadkin Valley AVA and were major influences in the viticulture and enology program at Surrey Community College.
0: The Wine Mouths are also back in this episode. This time to tell us more about the ever-popular rosé.
1: So sit back, pour a glass, and listen.
0: All right, we're here today with Chip Shelton, Mandy Hauser, and Ethan Brown of Shelton Vineyards. Uh, everyone, welcome to Cork Talk, and thank you very much for joining us today.
2: Thank you guys for having us. I'm
3: hey. Thank
1: you. So I guess let's go around and have everyone introduce themselves and tell a little bit more about who you are and what your connection is to Shelton Vineyards, what you do there. So maybe let's start with Mandy, and then go to Chip, and then Ethan.
3: This is Ma- Mandy Hauser, and I am co-president with my brother Chip. Of Shelton Vineyards. Uh, the vineyard was founded by my dad and um, my uncle back in 1999 and so um, we're kind of the next generation so to speak.
4: Uh, yes this is Chip Shelton and uh, co-president of Shelton Vineyards along with my sister and my father um, and uh, appreciate you having us on.
2: Thank you. Hi I'm uh, Ethan Brown, a winemaker here at Shelton Vineyards. Um, my connection to Shelton goes goes way back. I think the first time I was ever in the tasting room here was when I was nine years old, but that's a long story. <laughs> I mean, you guys probably don't want to hear all of that right now. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, Shelton has, as, as, you know, as we just learned, 1999, Shelton has been around for a while and it's kind of been at the forefront of the wine industry here in the state. So uh, Chip, Mandy, talk to us a little bit about why your dad and your uncle decided to start a vineyard and what that has meant to your family
4: yeah i mean i'll take a stab at that mandy um you know uh, both my father and uncle were uh and my mother uh were born in surrey county so that area of the state's always been you know very special to them and with my dad and uncle kind of winding down their building career they were in real estate development and construction around um you know both carolinas um you know kind of when they stepped out of that business i think my uh dad in particular was looking for a hobby he's not much of a golfer or had too many hobbies his hobby was work and uh, but he always loved agriculture and farming having grown up you know in tobacco farms in that area of the state and um since Mandy and I were kids you know we would always have wine at dinner whether it was you know California or you know wines from Europe my parents always traveled uh around the world visiting vineyards and my dad had a love of wine and um, you know he loved the farming agricultural aspect of it so I think you know when he started slowing down with his business career he started wanting to get back more to uh, his roots and we bought this dairy farm really I don't know man you could maybe know maybe 10 years prior we bought more of it just for uh, just to have some land in the county where they grew up and, um, my dad was, you know, interested in, uh, possibly having a little hobby of growing some grapes on the property. So we hired a consultant and studies came back pretty positive And, uh, next thing we know, we got a full blown business and a 40,000 foot facility. And here we are. Um, so we kind of took it from a, you know, just an idea of, Hey, I'd like to grow a few grapes to, um, you know really creating a, a full-time industry around not only just the Yadkin Valley but the whole state um, you know as you've seen vineyards just blossom everywhere so
3: and to, and to create a destination because you know once the vineyard got planted and we opened up the winery and started making wine then we had a need for um, a restaurant or some facility to feed people so we created the Harvest Grill then we found ourselves with the need for having a hotel. So then we have the Hampton Inn at Shelton Vineyards, and so it just kind of blossomed from there.
1: Yeah, it certainly is a, a destination for sure. And we always enjoy having lunch or dinner at the Harvest Grill. And anytime we've we've been in the area to stay overnight, the Hampton Inn is always a nice spot to, uh, to make a overnight stay. Um, so talk about what it was like though in the late 90s to be thinking about planting a vineyard in in that part of North Carolina. There really weren't that many vineyards at all. There was West Bend and maybe a few other small vineyards here and there, but there really weren't that many out there then. So besides having the consultants in, what, what made that look to be a good spot for planting the vineyard?
3: The, basically, the consultants came back to us and said that we had excellent soil. We would have to do several different things that um, the California wineries do. We'd have to do them differently. Um, we are challenged with the lovely humidity of the summer in North Carolina, and so they kind of told us that we would need to plant our grapevine rows a little bit further apart so that there would be more movement for the air. Um, we tried several different varieties um, when we first started. I think the only one that we are not really able to grow too well in North Carolina is the Pinot Noir. Um, we had that planted at the very beginning, but found that that was just very a very difficult grape to grow. Um, I think that there were lots of things that were interesting at that time. We all had little children, too, (laughs) in the early 90s, and so they were um, always loving to go to the farm and kind of hang out.
0: So did you have any idea when you were kind of going all throughout that 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 this is what you would be doing now?
3: Uh, No. No. (laughs) Not at all.
0: (laughs) So what did you want to be when you grew up?
3: Well, I was an interior designer. Still trying to figure
4: that
1: out. Yeah. So, Mandy, you were saying?
3: I was an interior designer when I graduated from college and was working in that field and helped dad and uncle ed do most of the interior design for the properties that we have up there now. Um, And then it just kind of morphed into me getting more involved in the business side and learning, you know, from the FOB market to marketing. I love to be um, Ethan's chief wine taster. <laughs> I'm always good for tasting wine. Um, it's it's just been an it's been an interesting evolution of um, how the family um, business has grown, and it's been in, it's been an interesting twenty years, and I'm looking forward to the next twenty years. Excellent.
0: A lot of our listeners may or may not be familiar with Shelton Vineyards, so talk to us a little bit about you know the experience of when they go to Shelton. What is it like? Uh, what would they expect when they walk in the door?
3: Well, we really just want them to feel welcome. We want them to be at ease. We want them to um, be open to trying things that they might not have tried before. I think that's the fun part of a tasting experience um, that you, you you, may be somebody that's never tried a Cabernet Franc or a Tanat um, grape. And it's very, they're two totally different taste profiles. Um, we love to have people from all over come in and learn about what we do and just learn about our area there, learn about what the North Carolina wine, wine industry as a whole is doing. It's it, it truly has exploded over the last 20 years. I think when we got started, we were one of 12 wineries in North Carolina, and now there's over, I, I think Ethan would have to help me out with that number, but I want to say there's close to 200 and something. I think
2: I think 211, 212, that's somewhere around that number.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely exploded in the last um, 20 years. Um, it's definitely growing and I think it's just it's a great place to just come relax and unwind a little bit we all get kind of tied up in our own you know world and cities that we live in and we're truly in the farm we are truly on the farm when you come to Shelton Vineyards we have lots of um, walking past and we have a lake that you can walk around and we actually have a lot of catfish in that lake that we do catfish food for the kids to feed the fish and um, in that lake that's that's quite an interesting site now they're getting they're getting pretty big
0: <laughs> yeah i never realized that i'll have to look for them the next time we come up
3: let's talk about um
1: some of the early impacts that the the shelton family had within the wine industry so two that come to mind are the viticulture and enology program at surrey community college and then the other is the yadkin valley ava and getting that started so uh, can we talk about both of those and, and the impact how the shelton family was was part of those and the impact that they've had on the state
3: um the process of getting the aba region approved and that's a federal government approval not a state government approval to be able to call a certain region an aba like the yadkin valley and i believe the Yadkin valley was the first um aba to be awarded in north carolina and i Yes, Ethan, you'll have to help me out. I think we have six or seven ABAs think, now in North Carolina. I think,
2: I think it's six. I believe okay. it's six, yes. Yeah.
3: Okay. Um, but they were they were very instrumental in getting together all of the required information that you had to kind of tell about your terroir, your soil conditions, your climate conditions, why our region would flavor the wine a certain way um, to be able to call it a region like the Napa Valleys and the Sonoma Valley. Um, Sonoma area in California, um, I think that was a big part of what they wanted to try to do for North Carolina was to give the wine industry kind of a bump up to help compete with the California wineries, because before we had the Yadkin Valley ABA, you were only allowed to put North Carolina on your label, and at that point in time, there weren't a lot of North Carolina wineries, and people were resistant to trying something new and so the biggest one of the biggest challenges we had was to be able to get people to taste the wine and try the wine and so then they decided that they wanted to try to work with the grocery store chains and do some in-store tastings um and that was a big i think that was a big help for our industry to be able to be in the grocery store and you know let people sample the wine and try it because once you try it you kind of you know you'll like it (laughs)
1: let's talk a little bit about surrey as well and getting that program started uh, I know your family was involved with with that initially
3: yeah my dad and my uncle decided that they there they both have always been people that like to give back to the communities that have given so much to them they've always been very charitable and trying to help help another um, a fellow winemaker or a fellow viticulturist or you know, those kinds of things. And so I think they really felt like there was nothing on the East Coast that really delved into the study and the practice of growing grapes and making wine. And so they really wanted to give back to that area to try to help the the fellow people of North Carolina who wanted to start growing grapes, give them a place that they could go and learn how to do that. And so they partnered up with the Surrey Community College to start that program.
1: And now there's the Shelton Badgett Center for North Carolina Center for Viticulture and Enology. That is a fantastic facility at Surrey that's provides a lot of good resources for the wine industry here in the state. Um, So it's a quite an impressive place. If you haven't been, um, it's certainly something to check out.
4: And I'll just add, add to that too. I think from their kind of their big business acumen from the real estate you know when they were in the real estate era they you know they kind of brought that same business acumen to the wine business and and tried to um you know not only north carolina but um surrey county in particular and you know creating that yadkin valley um trying to raise awareness more from a business standpoint that you can you can own and operate these vineyards and um truly make it a business and ultimately a destination point like a you know, down the road in Napa or somewhere that has the, you know, all the notoriety. Yeah, I think their goal, you know, in creating the Appalachian and creating the Atkin Valley is looking at it from, you know, like other businesses they ran. They wanted some, you know, I think they wanted to see some more structure around it where it truly became a destination for, uh, you know, putting our state on the map as a great uh, wine-growing region. So I think, you know, that was one of their goals after, Deciding to go in this business was, hey, how do we approach this from, you know, helping others? Uh, the ease of opening other vineyards, you know, trying to recruit other people to open vineyards to create that that buzz of, hey, we're here, we got a great industry, and and um, you know, welcome anybody that wants to, you know, come into the wine industry, open a vineyard, uh, you know, grow and sell grapes, um, you know basically a to z in the wine business i think they wanted to approach it more from a business standpoint um that got you know more notice around the country that you know we're we're kind of here to do business and and grow this region and ultimately you know compete for some of that wine space
0: yeah, absolutely, and I think, you know, having, just really having that AVA on the bottle definitely helps, because it does set aside saying, hey, this place is different. It grows or has perfect conditions for growing wine, and it's consistent quality wine across, you know, that area. So, definitely a long-lasting piece that they gave to the state itself. So, right. let's let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the grapes that are actually grown at Shelton because we've we, you kind of have all touched on a little bit on pieces there. Um, what is it that Shelton grows?
2: All right, I'll, I'll uh, start off on the varieties. Oh, so we grow 10 uh, different grape varieties total, all, all vinifera. Currently, we have four whites and six reds. Uh, the whites that we grow we, we have Riesling, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and Petit Manzang. Uh We also have Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc. Merlot, Tenat, Malbec, and Petit Bordeaux. So the big Bordeaux varieties and also Tenat thrown in there, too, um, to have some variety. Um, as Mandy had mentioned earlier, um, you know, we're 20 years in here at Shelton's, and so there's, been, there's certainly been a period of trial and error over the years. And, uh, you know, as she as said, we had Pinot Noir years ago. I think there was also Syrah, Petit Syrah, Viognier, sangiovese um so and we've switched varieties over the years um, but finally landed on these that seem to be working well for us and and discussing varietal selection for a winery is a, a very a very long conversation but um and it has to fit you know the different various business models for your particular winery um but they seem to be working very well for us a lot of you know a lot of big name varieties and that works well when you're thinking about the wine, um, not only in your tasting room, but also on the store shelf. You know, people immediately recognize Riesling, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Chardonnay. Um, the Petite Man Singh is a rather new addition. Uh, we should be getting our first vintage off of that 2021. So that's coming along quite well. I'm looking forward to that. Um, so, yeah, so we've got, got quite the spectrum of, uh, of vinifera varieties to choose from.
1: And I saw recently you're planting more Malbec
2: yeah that's uh we have a a new block of of Malbec we were putting in some uh, replacement vines uh yesterday filling in some of the uh some of the gaps so yeah um, we currently uh we currently have around three acres of Malbec so we're just uh, beefing those numbers up a little bit and adding another uh another three and a half acres
1: so what's the best variety in
2: the vineyard Oh, that's, that's a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> um, well, as I think everyone knows, you, you guys would agree, too. I mean, our, our Petit Verdot, I mean, as the reds go, just looking at it from a viticulture standpoint, um, Petit Verdot does very well. You know, consistently produces a, a quality red wine. Um, you know, the chemistry from the field and the, from the juice. It's, it's, it's excellent. One of my favorite reds, um, that's, that's uh, for sure um also you know i've I've talked about this a lot tonight um it's it's becoming popular in the area and it's it's certainly one of my favorite varieties um it maintains its acidity very well in the field actually uh sometimes we have to make we have to watch it and hope the ph actually continues to go up so it won't be too acidic that's a great problem to have for for reds here in here in north carolina um and also i think for our reds it, it has the most consistent quality from vintage to vintage which is huge um, for obviously the, the quality of wine that you're producing but also from a business perspective of knowing that you're gonna have that quality and, and it's reliable um, it's the darkest variety that um, one of the darkest varieties I've worked with worked with hybrids and natives and things like that um, and so there's uh, it's it's one of my personal favorites um, for the, uh, for the white varieties that we have, you know, the Teatman Man sing I've made in the past, uh, elsewhere, and it's, it's, it's one of my favorites. I'm really looking forward to that. We don't have that on the shelves quite yet. Um, but actually Sauvignon Blanc's been, been a variety that, it, it surprises me how versatile it is in the winery. Um, in the field, it is a very delicate, it is a very delicate variety. I mean, you, you really have to harvest it at the opportune time and you do have to baby it out in the field. Um, but once you get that into the winery, you can make anything from a, you know, a, a more mineral driven French style Sauvignon Blanc um, to a more fruit forward um, herbaceous, uh, leaning more toward that New Zealand style. So you, depending on the stylistic techniques you take in the winery, you have a lot of versatility with that. And that's actually been really exciting to me over the over the past couple years working with that.
0: So this is actually probably a really good spot for us to take a quick little break so we can hop into our wine education segment, but then we'll be right back and we will talk more about the wines that you make with those grapes. It's time again for Wine Class with the Wine Mouths. Jesse and Jessica, welcome back.
5: Thanks.
1: So what are we covering today?
6: our absolute favorite topic, rosé. Yay. Yay! So we're gonna start a little bit by talking a little bit about uh, just how rosé is made and the differences from red and white wine. Yeah
5: and in in general there's a million ways to make rosé and there's a lot of different things but yeah mostly rosé is made from red grapes. Okay. Not Treat. treated like white wine. Yeah. That's like the bullet point yeah. there's <laughs> no
6: such thing as pink
5: grapes <laughs>
0: so as we talked about last time you know most um most red grapes when you squish them the juice is clear so that makes sense yes
5: mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. so if you squish a red grape immediately you would get white wine
6: but so rosé is made by allowing the skins to sit on the grape juice for a period of time depends on how long you, what style you're looking for or what you're going for um but yeah so that gives it's but the distinctive color
5: yeah but that time can be as short as like an hour yeah and you'll get some color
0: so when you're at like the you know the grocery store or the wine store or wherever else you see all these varying shades of rosé what's the difference between them
5: there's a lot of different factors first the grapes themselves i mean yes they're all red grapes but some grapes may have more of a bluish tone to them. some may have more of a bricky I don't know. There's yeah. different shades of red. So, you know, if you get just a little bit of that color, it may turn out to be a different shade of pink. Yeah. Um, but also, they're made in different ways. So, you can have longer skin contact and get something that has more color or.
6: So, there are three general ways to make rosé uh, maceration, saunier, and blending. So, we'll dive into the, each of those a little bit. Um, so, maceration's most common way to make rosé. So, the grapes are picked, crushed, and destemmed, and then the juice again sits on the skins for a little bit of time. Um, yeah. So, nice.
5: maceration is just the act of ju- the grapes sitting with the skins. Yeah, grape juice.
6: Um, the second, Saunier, is a, f- a French term, um, and this means to bleed off. So, do you want to talk about that one a little bit?
5: Sure. So, this one is kind of when you're going to make red wine and you decide. Well, let me just pull out a little bit of the juice early on and make a rosé and then I still have my red wine in the vat.
1: It really concentrates the flavor of the red wine a little bit more.
5: Exactly. You're kind of like trying to make two wines out of one.
1: Right. Hmm. Interesting.
5: No waste product. More yeah. <laughs> bang for your buck. And then blending. So this is just
6: mixing either finished red and white wine together to make a pink blend or blending different
5: rosés even maybe. Yeah. So
6: or even can- blending before you ferment blending is a very
5: wide term and a lot of your grocery store wine at lower price points are probably just going to be blended
1: sure so that's typically white wine with a little red or yep vice versa
0: red wine with a lot of white (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so now when it comes to rosés what do you like about them do you like the lighter spectrum or do you like the darker more full what are your thoughts
5: Yes, but. and.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> so I tend to lean more towards the lighter, but I also really enjoy sparkling
0: rosé. Mm.
5: So um, champagne or any of the sparkling kind of options. Mm.
6: And, and I like, like the that. lighter too, but it depends on what you're doing with the wine or what you're pairing it with. As You might want a beefier rosé.
0: Okay, so. I can see that. Like a little, almost treat it like a red, if you will. Yeah. It's like, okay, I yeah. have my steak in rosé too.
1: So if you're going to a dinner party... But you don't know what's being served, what kind of wine do you bring?
5: Rosé! Rose. <laughs> or Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs>
1: and that's because rosé goes with anything, mm-hmm. pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. I'm sure there's a few caveats in there, but it's always a safe bet. Yeah. That's for sure.
6: And I think it used to get a bad rap. It's really such a popular wine right now, but it doesn't have to be sweet. I think people see their pink color and used to think more commonly that, oh, that's going to be... Mm-hmm. Fruity, girly, sweet wine, mm.
1: and
5: it, it can still be a toss up. You know, sure. if you're looking at the grocery store and you see all the rosé, it can be yeah. a toss up if you're going to get a sweeter or a dry. So that's
0: true. Make sure you read the label carefully.
5: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when all else fails, go for one from France.
1: Mm-hmm. This is true. It can't be <laughs> no rosé from Provence. No. So when is an okay time to have rosé? I think any
6: time, any day. The time. Yeah, any time <laughs> of the day. Breakfast. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, after dinner?
5: Yes, any time of year. Uh huh, for sure. I mean, they put rose in cans now, so Mm, it can be an adventure wine. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Whether you're going beach or mountains.
5: Yeah. Floating down a river.
0: Or even to Beach Mountain.
6: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going there next weekend.
0: Excellent. Bring some rose. Yeah,
5: (laughs) good idea.
6: (laughs) We have a lot of great roses in North Carolina, too.
5: You can make them from a lot of different grapes, but, you know, there are some of the standards. Cab Franc. Chamberson, even yeah.
1: Yeah, sure.
5: Chamberson does not take long at all to make rosé.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine no. not. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have a favorite rosé grape?
5: I think for me, Grenache.
0: I, I was like gonna say good. Grenache. I feel rose like you need high acid, acid or high, yeah, something. Yeah, and juice. the
1: acid's probably why it pairs well with food.
0: Yes. Any other rosé tips that you have for our listeners or for us? Just drink <laughs> rosé. Right? Yeah, right? yeah, just drink it. go out there rose and try one. <laughs> Like our conversations, rose is perfect at any time of day. So, Jesse and Jessica, thank you very much for giving us a little rose education.
5: Thanks for having us.
0: You can find out more information about the Winemouths by going to their website, winemouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram, at winemouths. That's W I N E M O U T H S. And now, back to the show.
1: So we're back with Mandy, Chip, and Ethan. So Ethan, let's talk a little bit more about the wine portfolio at Shelton and, and what folks can expect. There's really something for everyone in the wines that you have.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have, uh, it fluctuates a bit. I believe we have 21 wines now uh, total for, for people to choose from. We have that broken up into uh, multiple tiers. You know, we have our... Uh, our uh, 259 line, which are, is our reserve line, and then we have our um, standard tasting, which uh, comprises our Riesling, Cabernet Franc, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, and, and others. And then we have um, a couple of family reserve labels in our highest tier. Um, and we also have some fun wines. We have a, a, we have Blackberry, for instance. Um, uh, we have a, a Moscato now that was just recently released. Um, so you know, we try to have a little something for everyone um, you know we do focus uh, for me personally you know those big the big dry reds I mean those are those are some of my favorite ones to, to experiment with and to, and to taste um, but you know from a winemaking perspective it's all about producing the wine for the consumer and um, knowing what the end goal needs to be no matter what my personal preferences may be for wine um, just when you're making the wine throughout the process you know what your end goal is and you you pretty much do whatever you have to have to to get to that point um so you know we have we have quite a range of wines um mandy is there anything that you would like to add
3: no i think i think you covered it pretty well there um we do try to keep a very good variety and try to you know make something that can appeal, can appeal we have different types of wines that will appeal to different taste, uh different people's palates you know if they want something sweet we have some of that we also have some of the semi sweets covered and then we do produce a lot of the dry um and more tannic
2: um wines
3: as well so i think we try to we try to give a good variety as well
2: and, and that i do want to mention um i i believe we're the only uh winery in north carolina that has a port that is labeled as port um because uh, we were producing uh, our port wine before the uh, legal restrictions came into effect so we were grandfathered in and we can uh, actually have a, uh, a labeled port on our tasting list it's uh, it's one of our most popular wines for sure
1: yeah it's always a favorite of ours there's several favorites but that, that one is, is always a, a good one so speaking of favorites Ethan you've already stated dry reds is there are you gonna go with tonight? Are you gonna to go with P V as your favorite?
2: Uh, that's a good that's a very good question. Um <laughs> consistently I would say yeah, tonight, uh, Petit Verdot. Malbec is my is my would be my other one in that upper tier of my personal favorites. Um, just because if I'm looking for something a little more fruit forward, I enjoy working with Malbec um, because you know we are very similar to Argentinian Malbecs, but shifted a little more into the red fruit range. Uh, we're not quite as stone fruit as um, as Argentina gets, uh, but we're still very dark fruit, blackberry, um, plum, things such as that. Uh, so it's certainly fruit forward, and I think that's why a lot of consumers love Malbec as a variety. You know, people in general they, they love fruit <laughs> fruit characteristics in a wine. Um, so that would be another one of one of my favorites. Uh, as well, and as I mentioned before, our Sauvignon Blanc. Also, um, our dry rosé. Actually, I am drinking a lot of our dry rosé. <laughs> um, we bottled it the just the other day, um, our, our 2019 vintage, and that's that's turned into one of my favorites. Our two um, that the, the exact blend changes a, a little, uh, but the goal is still the same: just to have a, a nice um, bone dry uh, rosé that's really. I think reflects uh, French rosés, like a Provence, something along those lines, um, and so that's especially as the weather gets warmer, it's it's one of my go-tos.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely one of my favorites. <laughs> I was going to ask
1: what what are your favorites? Do you have other favorites,
3: maybe? I, 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 I do have a couple other favorites that um, I lo- I do like our Ben Seventeen and our Estate Chardonnay.
6: Yeah. Um, nice.
3: And the other one that I think is interesting that I was kind of surprised that is one of one that I do like is our dry Riesling that we've produced. Um, it's a little bit different. I'm, you know, I'm a more of a dry drinker, and I like I like that taste profile that Ethan has created. And then I, I'm I'm also a big red fan, so I do like his tonight and the Petit Verdot.
7: I was gonna say I'm a fan of all of them, um, uh, but I would say my go-to's are typically I drink probably more reds. Um, and I love the uh, the Malbec, and I love the uh, the Merlot too. Um, Ethan does uh, a great job um, with all of them, but I, those are two of my favorites. And then I I would also say that rose um, that he makes is is fabulous, especially in in the warmer weather in the summer. Um, it's really crisp and clean, and it's, um, it's really good to drink. So our, our rose, I think, is gonna people that haven't tried it are gonna really find something nice when they do try it and uh uh hopefully enjoy a lot of it so it's it, but it's a great wine but typically I'm, I'm on the reds most of the time so i love the merlot mall back and st- typically stick in the red camp
1: so i would say for us um bin 17 is always just a classic it's it's a go-to it's uh, you know it's easy to find in the grocery store if you can't make it up uh, to get a bottle um it's it's just a really good Chardonnay. Uh, and, um, of course we all, we always like the two five nine pretty much anything in that line. And like Mandy, the dry Riesling is, is usually a favorite when that, when that appears with the, in the two five nine label. So, um, but yeah, to uh, we've got some to from previous vintages hanging out, uh, in our cellar, if you will, uh, trying to let some of those age and see what they do. So, um, it's always, Always interesting when you open wines from many years ago and see see what's happening. So we're hoping for good things on those.
2: Yeah, yeah, I and mean, I, I think that our Tanat and, and Petit Verdot, as as you guys know, I mean th- those are two of the really the only like real age worthy. I mean, past five years, past seven years. Sure, um, that's the most common question I get from 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 people that come from customers that come through to, from folks that I talk to is how long do I age a particular uh, wine and and those are the ones. None of none of the wines that I make, I you never, you never make a wine so that it has to be aged. I think you know when the wine is on the shelf, it's it's ready to be consumed because people people want to buy the wine and open it with supper for that night. Right. Um, but you know if you're looking for something that, that's going to age, possibly improve. Possibly, well, I, I wouldn't even say necessarily improve. It'll just change. It'll just right. change the characteristics of that particular wine and. And Tanat uh, Petit Verdot are two of two of the uh, most age-worthy.
1: Excellent. So, Ethan, let's talk a little bit about your background and how long you've actually been in in the wine industry, in North Carolina. <laughs> it's uh, Ethan's not a not a an old man either. He's quite young. So, um, let's talk about <laughs> yeah. how many years you've been <laughs> making wine, Ethan.
2: Yeah, you're going to have to change. This, this uh, November, I turned 30, so
7: oh, I'm, I'm, wow.
2: that's, that's like a milestone there. So, um.
7: Great. Thanks, but, Ethan. Now we all feel old. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: um, so, actually, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting how it kind of comes full circle. Um, my family was actually driving by, and I grew up about 15 minutes from where the vineyard is here. And um, my family was driving by here when the vines were being put in the ground around '99. And that's really one of the factors that spurred us into planting our vines. Um, I, like I said, I have vague memories of coming into the tasting room here. Uh, it would have been 2000, so I would have been nine years old. And um, it's uh, I, I didn't do a tasting that day, just a big one. <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, and then... Yeah, so my family, we planted um, we planted an acre in 2001. My aunt and uncle planted some grapes, and that's that's how we got into it. Um, we were one of the 38 members of the Old North State Co-op, one of the 38 vines back when that was a cooperative. And, and after that, we, we had to decide whether we wanted to, um, you know, basically get out of the biz- business completely or have a tasting room. Um, because that was a bit more viable than just having a small a small vineyard, and so due to my interest in the in the wine industry and winemaking, we decided to go ahead and open uh, open a tasting room, and uh, that was my com- first commercial vintage. That was two thousand and uh, that was two thousand and ten. Um, so I was I was nineteen at that time. Uh, during that time, I, I started at um, Surrey Community in the viticulture and enology program there during my high school years. Uh, my grandfather and Aunt were two of the they were two of the first students i mean they were very early on there um back uh it had to have been around 99 or 2000 but i started there uh you know taking some classes in 2008 my first college class was intro to winemaking um went through the program there and and i really began to understand my interest was really in the fundamental science of wine and the analogy, um, and what all went into it because the more you understand the fundamentals the the better wine that that you can make obviously so um around that time when i was um finishing up at surrey appalachian state was starting their uh, fermentation program and so that just seemed like a natural progression actually what i ended up doing was i majored in chemistry with a concentration in fermentation science so i kind of got the best of both worlds it took all the fermentation classes at app and then, um, majored in chemistry as well. So, um, wrapped up my degree up there, um, 2014 and, um, he had managed some vineyards here and there during, uh, the off years and I, let's see, I think in my family's vineyard, we stopped, we stopped the business. Uh, it's been, uh, it's been about five, five years ago or so now, we, we, they, that's no longer open. Um, I think they're ready to actually retire now <laughs> without a tasting room, but um, but in any case, um, after Appalachian State, you know, went to, went to work at a, another Yakin Valley winery and uh, made wine, brewed, brewed some beer there, and, um, and now I'm here. I've been here at Shelton's for a uh, little over two years now.
1: So Chip, Mandy, what does it mean to, to Shelton to have Uh, someone like ethan who has grown up basically in in the local wine industry to be now be the winemaker at shelton
7: well i I mean to i think to us it means a lot i mean to come through the viticulture program to be from that you know from that area and to have somebody as talented as as ethan even as he said at a young age is just it's been incredible to be able to kind of recruit him over and get him um so i think we're um you know not only that he he kind of comes from where we grew up he's also been through that program kind of from the beginning so he's kind of grown with it as we have so it's been pretty special to have him
3: yeah we're very we're very lucky and i think that we've got somebody um on our team that we'll be able to grow with too so i think that's we're very lucky to have him he's very talented at what he does
1: absolutely absolutely we're always big fans of Ethan and, and the wines that he made back even uh, when he was making them at, at his family's, at his family's vineyard. vineyard. So we always loved going by there when they were open. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, the involvement of uh, the Shelton's and Ethan in, in the, at the state level in the wine industry. So um, I was reading an article earlier that talked about how Charlie and Ed were involved in trying to change some of the the archaic laws that were part of the state that regulated the wine industry. Um, one was around not being able to ship uh, wine to and from North Carolina, um, where that was apparently a felony at one time, according to this one article. But I'm sure there are others, and, and being part of trying to get the highway signs going. So talk a little bit about uh, their involvement early on uh, with, the, at the state level, um so we've talked a little bit about the atkin valley itself but let's talk about the state level and how they were involved
7: yeah i mean i would My- Mandy, if you want me to jump in i, I mean i think that kind of goes back to when they got in to the wine business and, and decided that it was gonna you know be more than a hobby i think they they took a you know thirty thousand foot approach to it and says how can we make this better for the state how can we help other vineyards how can we you know create a business uh for the state other than you know kind of um although there was a lot of vineyards there was no kind of continuity of the whole business and i think you know by from the road signs to the appellations to the um the work that they and a bunch of other vineyards chipped into to do and really work hard on from the state level were able to get some things passed to really um showcase these vineyards and let people that live in the state that didn't even know there were vineyards down the street know that hey i couldn't go you know spend the day or the weekend at these places and um you know i think that that their their um hopes for that was to um make it more like a business and kind of more structured to to uh allow more people to know who and what was out there um you know for getaways weekend trips that kind of thing so i think that was really important to them to to kind of start at the state, work it down to the local, and um, you know get a lot of things approved that help the industry as a whole and you know hopefully have helped every vineyard that's out there and open in the state.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing those growing up in North Carolina and just seeing uh, gradually seeing more and more signs on the road pop up. and and of course, at that point it was you'd hear about it on the news and maybe in the newspaper. Um, and seeing those signs you know and and actually Shelton is probably the first tasting room I ever visited in North Carolina uh, many years ago I grew up in Wilkes County so it wasn't that far uh, when I lived there Um, so my I'm fairly certain that was my first tasting experience at a North Carolina winery was at Shelton many years ago. Um, And then Ethan, you're involved today uh, with the Wine and Grape Council. So talk to us a little bit about what the Wine and Grape Council does and your role uh, on the council.
2: Yeah, yeah. um, I I was, you know, I was extremely happy uh, to represent Shelton's on the uh, Grape and Wine Council. Uh, Charlie um, helped Help uh, get me in place there and it's been oh man <laughs> personally it's been a great learning experience but um, really the, the purpose for the Grape & Wine Council is um, we're a um, quasi-government um, entity um, within the agriculture department mm. and we get monies from the state uh, that we then redistribute out uh, to help the entire industry. Um, there are uh, ten members on the uh, Grape and Wine Council, um, five from the uh, Vinifera side of the industry, and five from the muscadine side of the industry, and um, you know we're the ones that facilitate uh, the winery brochures, the um, Commer- North Carolina Commercial Wine Competition um, through the through the State Fair, and uh, many other events as well, um, and. So, you know, our, our goal is basically to, to promote the entire industry and to, to utilize our, our resources the, the best that we can. Um, and so we've got a lot of things going on. You know, and of course, North Carolina Wine Month, I can't, can't forget about that. Um, it had it had been in uh, September uh, in, the, in the past years, and the decision was made. We decided um, as a council with, with a lot of input from the industry to move that to May. And also, on that note, we separated out great month so that great month is actually now in august and um that will help promote a lot of the fresh the fresh uh market growers out there the fresh fruit uh folks um to give them to give them their time and and to really help uh be able to push the fret the fresh fruit um re- really before the season comes in you know if in september it was wine and great month and i think that the uh the fresh fruit people kind of gotten got a little left left out there um because so much focus was put on wine so this will kind of give them their their own thing and and i think may is going to work out much better for for nc wine month um especially once once uh, civilization is up and running again <laughs> right. but um even so um just because you know may we're it's going to give all of the wineries kind of a, a springboard into our busy season and um you everyone's not bogged down with harvest i mean that was one of the problems with september being being wine month is i mean everyone's super busy with harvest all the grapes are coming in and that limits limits the activities and the events that that a lot of folks can do uh so this this us up i think it's going to work work much better overall
1: so we you touched a little bit on the pandemic so can we talk a little bit about the impacts that uh the pandemic has had so of course tasting rooms are closed, Uh, wineries can do pickup and ship wine and that sort of thing. Uh, But how has that affected Shelton and any of the others in the industry that you'd like to speak about?
7: Obviously, Mandy's uh, probably a lot more familiar with it. But, um, you know, it has impacted all small business from our, um, you know, retail shop, uh, not being open to our restaurant, you know, kind of doing um, to-go orders. We're like every other business in the country right now that's you know, has a stay in place order. Uh, our hotel staff has been cut back because, you know, occupancy is way down. So, you know, we're no, um, we didn't escape any of that like any other companies. We're kind of right in there with everybody else. And, you know, one thing I will say is it, and Ethan and Mandy can echo on this or disagree, but I think our, you know, our online sales have really jumped um, obviously because people are staying home and we're shipping probably a lot more wine than, than usual. Um, But, you know, I think the flip side of that, too, is when things ease, uh, you know, kind of the heartaches that the country and basically the world's been going through with all this. Um, When, you know, we do come out of this, I feel like we could have one of the best summers, falls uh, that we've ever had, because I think people will stick close, closer to home. Uh, They won't be flying like they usually do. And I think people will really gravitate towards things that are closer to home to enjoy. And um, I think that'll help us and a lot of the vineyards around the state. Um, that people are going to be ready to get out. They're going to be ready to enjoy being outside and listening to music, having some wine, but not necessarily, you know, taking European trips or wherever they might go otherwise. Sure. I think um, it could be a big plus for, you know, the North Carolina wine business this summer because um, you can't keep people inside forever. And when it does break, I think you'll see people out and enjoying things more on a local level than they, they ever have.
1: Yeah, it's good to support local anytime, but especially um, after what we've been through, because it's it's more immediate to what happens to you. Um, so, yeah, uh, hopefully that will be the case for sure.
7: Yeah, but we're you know I'd say we're like any other industry. We've been, you know, we've had tough times just like everybody else. I mean, it's uh, it's just one of those things you never ever would have dreamt could happen has happened, and um, but like I said, you know. North Carolina has a lot to offer, and, and we get a lot of people, you know, what we always like to say from, we have a lot of customers from, from Ohio, and we're basically halfway between Ohio and the coast, Right. and we, we have a ton of people that doing overnight with us, have dinner, get a case of wine, they go to the beach with the family for a week, then they drive back, they spend the night on the way home, they get a case to take home, and it's like, uh, you know, you get to know folks like that, and I think you're going to see more and more of that, uh, people on the road, not in the air and staying closer to, um, you know, where they live, but still get out and have, you know, enjoyable times with their family. And, and hopefully, you know, Shelton Vineyards will be a piece of that and other vineyards in the region can help, um, you know, people have a good time this summer.
0: We've kind of talked a bit about, you know, some pieces here and there, but what are some of the things that you think really sets Shelton Vineyards apart from others?
3: I think that um i guess i if i was pausing to kind of think about what the answer to that should be but i do think that um i would hope that it would be the experience that somebody can have when they come and visit us that 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 we're you know our doors are open we want people to come in have a great time try some things they haven't tried before try some things they have tried before and um just kind of enjoy themselves um we have you know, lots of open spaces, lots of walking trails, that kind of thing.
0: That's perfect. Yeah, I think you're 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 right on with that. I mean, you mentioned the the catfish and the, the the lake there earlier too. So I think you know, not many other people have gigantic catfish that they could say is an attraction to bring people in. <laughs>
7: yeah, we do have those.
0: Yeah. So now, uh, Mandy and Chip, when was it that you actually started really becoming more formally involved in the business itself? So it, it started in, in you know, they, 99 was kind of the, the year. But then when was it that you two started getting in?
3: Well, we, we both were there when we planted the first grapes. Um, my first daughter was there. My second daughter had not been born yet when that happened. Um, we've, I've been involved with the business since day one, since it before it came out of the ground. And then it kind of morphed into dad and uncle Ed said, you know, you have a retail store in Charlotte would you come help us do the design for the retail? So I worked with a group um, in Charlotte to design our tasting room. And then it kind of led into, can you go to Atlanta and go to the gift show and buy the, they called them knickknacks, the the (laughs) accessories that we would sell um, in the store along the wine, with the wine. And then it just kind of morphed into it from there. And I literally have been involved since the beginning, helping with the marketing and, um, you know, trying to navigate the FOB market that we're in, which is our grocery store chains and restaurants that we sell to, to um, just, you know, it's a it's a family business. And family business, there's no definition that I can give it other than you are on 24-7. And, you know, anytime somebody asks you to do something, you just jump in and do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. So, so, Chip, were you also in uh, starting from day one, too?
7: yes i was uh you know i planted a row right next to mandy when we had our first <laughs> vines planted um each kid kind of got their own row to, to start which was pretty cool and um you know i would say mandy's been more hands-on obviously uh, way more than me i have uh, another business it's kind of based around the southeast and i'm on the road a lot um i'm actually on the road as we speak but you know uh i try to back mandy up as much as i can and, and ethan uh my dad mom you know on, on things i'm i'd say i'm you know fairly active in it uh i will be more active in the future um but yeah i've been there since the beginning um and like manny says i mean one minute you're you know you're looking at plans for the hotel and the next minute you're you know, you, you know Dad saying go pop some more popcorn at the concert because you know we're running <laughs> low out there so it's uh it's, it's everything all in the above you know you're you're looking at marketing deals one minute and you're rolling wine out on a cart the next it's just whatever it takes and um I think that's what's nice about our group is that everybody you know at Shelton Vineyards is, is all hands on deck we're willing to do whatever it takes um and we you know and you know and having Ethan on board we basically we kind of handle everything and give Ethan what he needs and stay out of the way and he makes great wine so that's <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of how it works
3: and we have a we also have a great team of people that take care of our customers um we have we have a great team across the board um we have a great tasting room staff that's very welcoming and wants people to learn about our wines we have a great um wine club family we have over i think we're at 800 members now maybe ethan is that am i correct on that one Uh, i think so so
2: yeah i think so Um,
3: so we have they're very loyal to us they're very um, engaged with us they love giving us ideas and you know i take it all the way to the guys in the field that work for us that have been with us since we started um you know it's a family business and we all i feel like everybody on the team is part of our family um
0: well, it's definitely awesome. I mean, it sounds like, you know, from every aspect of it, everyone's all, you know, working right alongside each other, working right to get everything done. Uh, what would you say has been, you know, some of the highlights or some of the things that you've learned uh, in the years of doing business?
3: Oh, my goodness. That's a very loaded question. <laughs> I, I will say, I Maybe will say. You
7: may make a stab at it?
3: I was going to say you could make a stab at it. But right off the top of my head, I'd never had a clue of how hard the wine business is until you get into it. <laughs>
0: A lot of people say the same thing. It's like, oh, we're going to retire and go into the wine business. And like, oh, you're really getting into a second career, so that's not really yeah. retirement.
3: And it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a retirement type business. And it is, it's multifaceted from farming and having to deal with Mother Nature to marketing and label, you know, label designs and website designs to customer relations to it's just it's very multifaceted and and then the whole hospital you know hospitality and food and beverage with the restaurant it's it's been um it's been interesting
0: so what would you say has left the biggest impact on you then
7: i mean i I would say for me is just um the biggest impact for me is when when you look at uh businesses like this that have so many components to it uh, the vineyard the retail that customer experience You also have the, you know, you have the food and beverage side. You have the restaurant. um, You have that experience. And then you have the hotel and all the work, you know, all the things that go into that and the the experience that folks have when they're there, trying to mesh all that together uh, with a group that really gels, which I think we have. Um, To me, that's probably the biggest takeaway for me was, you know, when people drive in and see oh hey here's a nice vineyard this is this is cool you know there's so many people and work behind the scenes that go into that and having the right people um handling you know each aspect of that is huge and i think you know as i've gotten more involved in the business that's the most important thing as mandy said was that customer experience and you either you either have to have it right or you you can't be in business long term so um i think that's what we strive for and that that's been the biggest impact on me is how much you depend on really good people, which we're lucky to have.
0: So we're we're kind of wrapping up on the questions here. So one more question for all three of you then: um, What is it you look forward to most in the future?
7: Ethan, why don't you jump on that one first?
2: Okay. Um, for me, I I, I feel like I'm making wine better every year. I mean, that's every winemaker's goal, but um.
3: For me, you know, my my
2: personal style of of winemaking is, is um, a very pragmatic approach. Um, you know, very based, very much based in the enological sciences. I try to stay up to date with current enology and 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 try to uh, really improve the product from year to year. And, and I I can see that I'm doing that. And I think that that that's that's the most exciting thing for me as I always look at how to make wine. Uh, better and more efficiently too. I think that's uh, that's something that I wish I had known, you know, years ago, and that I'm continuing to learn. And that a lot of I think uh, winemakers that are just starting out probably overlook is, um, you know, we people we talk about quality all the time, and that's an obvious goal. I mean, we're we're always going to try to make the best wine possible, but we have to we have to make the best wine possible as efficiently as possible and um you know work closely with all the other team members of the particular business to try to reach our goal i mean this is a this is a business after all and you know we have to we have to all have that same goal and and uh get the wine to the customer and uh and hopefully make some money while doing it so um i feel like i'm i'm just learning more about the business constantly and uh and producing better wine i think that that's going to continue on into the future i'm already i i keep i keep multiple notes on uh on my computer of uh things to look into for the next vintage and i have i think two pages a single space <laughs> of ideas that whenever i randomly come up with an idea i type it out and uh hopefully try to mark some of those off each vintage and uh the page gets keeps keeps getting longer so that's always a good thing <laughs>
3: yeah that's definitely a good thing because i the one thing i like is when i look into the future is i, I get excited about where are we going to be 20 years from now and what are we going to be doing 20 years from now um what wines will we be making that will be different um you know my biggest thing i'm always about the as i've said a couple of times i'm about the customer experience and so you know, I like to I'd like to see us do more weddings and more events that are you know where people are coming and bringing groups to the vineyard and those kinds of things. And I'd like, you know, there's there's interesting things that Ethan and I talk about several times of what we what we can we do differently and how can we do it better. And I, those are the things that I get excited about. How can we make what we're doing that is good now? Where do we take it to the to get it to the next level?
7: Yeah, I, I would I would say for me that. You know, one of the things i'm excited about for the future is um you know not only you know where the vineyard sits between charlotte greensboro um roanoke um you know the vineyard itself even though it's in the foothills of the mountain sits in a huge you know development honeypot down the road and i think one of the cool things to see and you know maybe not our lifetime but our kids or even their grandkids that when all those communities continue to grow which we expect north carolina to that um, and we own, you know, close to a thousand acres around, uh, you know, with the vineyard and around just watching what develops around that. And like Mandy said, continuing to, to build that customer experience and other things that we can add to it along the way. And the development that takes place around the vineyard, um, you know, 30 years from now, who knows what you see But um, you know, the good thing is we're in the, in the best state in the country from a development standpoint. So. I think that's going to be fun to sit back and watch, um, especially for, you know, kids that are, you know, like Ethan's age when he first came by the vineyard at 9, 10 years old. You know, when they're when they're 30, it's going to be fun to be able to see what that looks like.
0: That's awesome. I think those are all great things to be looking forward to. And we share a lot of that because I think the more that the industry grows, that's the better for everyone who's involved in it. Mandy, Chip, and Ethan, thank you very much for taking the time out today. We definitely appreciate you all sitting down with us um, in our new social distancing interview format that we've been doing um, to, to go through and, and have this conversation and, and be featured on Cork Talk. We definitely appreciate the time.
2: Thank you guys for having us.
3: Yeah, thank you for having us.
0: That's it for this episode of Quark Talk.
1: Thanks again to Mandy, Chip, and Ethan. We really enjoyed learning more about Shelton Vineyards and how the whole team really is one big Shelton family.
0: If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps others find Cork Talk and lets us know how we can improve.
1: Did you know we have a Patreon page? You'll get patron-only content, early access to each show, and more when you sign up. You can find more information at patreon.com slash Cork talk.
0: And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys.
1: Until next time, and remember: a cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers! Cork Talk is a freelance LLC production.